from the greater Boston area, you are listening to the My Turn podcast, brought to you by the Tufts University Education Reentry Network. These are stories of life during and after incarceration, told by people who are living it and working to overcome the odds. My name is Devon McNeil. Um, I spent the last 20 years of my life incarcerated. I've been free for one year now. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing being home, but to sum it up, I will say it's been a struggle, but it beats being inside of a prison cell. Hi, my name's Hector Bannister. I'm 33 years old, and I spent 12 years of my life in and out of prison. And after everything I've been through from prison to now, I'm just trying to find a way as a man, as a person. In today's episode, we talk about the meaning of family and home, pre, during, and post-incarceration. We explore the ways in which we find family, connections, safety nets at different points in our journeys. This year, we enrolled in my turn, a Tufts University accredited certificate program, offering 10 Tufts credits across four classes where we co-learn with Medford undergraduate students. Growing up, home was never like home to me because it was always full of violence and destruction and just a lot of negativity. Like my stepdad was real abusive. My mom was just always yelling and whatever he said, it was just his world. So me and my brothers would always just go out and like to us, that was our way of escaping from what we like to call it Fort A Castle Court because that's the apartment we lived in. And uh, we would always just gravitate to the streets because we didn't have to deal with the fight in between my mom and my stepdad or with us and him or us and our mom. So we would always just go out as early as possible and stay out as late as we possibly can. So it's like when I got uh, arrested and I went into federal custody, it was, I'm not gonna say the first institution I went to felt like home because a lot of the people there I didn't get a genuine feeling from, but it was once I went to USP Pollock and I came across certain people that I gravitated to liking them, you know, as like family, I would say, because I consider them more than friends. There was genuine love and respect and care that I would call home. That's what always just made me feel like what was home for me, somewhere where I didn't feel like there was just destruction or negative energy. So it was just always just good to get out of the apartment that I grew up in. And as time went on, as kids, I ended up moving to my grandmother's and uh, we was there for like two, three years. I couldn't stand it there. I hated it there. Like, it was so dirty, roach infested, mice everywhere. It was like the worst. Like, I used to be so embarrassed sometimes to go to school because I think like somebody's gonna see like a roach crawl out of my shirt or some shit like that. So like, even then, home didn't feel like home. And I was 17, I went to uh, National Street Jail, but they sent me to Suffolk County because National Street Jail was full. So they had me in the holding side of Suffolk County. And uh, I didn't know much about jail politics besides what all my friends that did time told me. So one thing I knew was like, you just don't take no shorts. And if you don't understand what shorts mean, that means like you don't let nobody basically punch you, um, punk you or suck you into anything. And you gotta stand up as a man. So. I was always in trouble when I was in jail after that. Like I stayed in the hole for fighting. 
I wasn't taking no BS. I remember I did 18 months straight in the hole, like never got out because I kept fighting with COs, inmates, all of that. And I came home and um, I was only home for five months. And then that's when I caught my federal case. So when I caught that federal case, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it's kind of crazy. Besides Hamilton Street, I think the feds is the only second place I can actually call home. <laughs> now that I'm talking about it, that's just kind of crazy. Oh, so like I said, when I went to Canaan, I didn't really get along with those guys there. They wasn't genuine. But when I went to USB Pollock, that's where I met Joseph. He was my roommate. And then I met my workout partners, Texas D, Tuan from Florida, Dudley from Louisiana, and Berto from Chicago. And then uh, I also had an older guy named Lewis. He had a life sentence. That was my boy, too, Skaggs. And, uh, oh, what's the other guy we played? Gosh, what, um, Doughboy. He was from North Carolina. All those guys, like, I gravitated towards. Like, and, like, as time went on, it's like I realized that I, uh, confided in them with a lot of things that I'll be going through during my time, like with family or just myself in general. It's just the trust that I gained and learned for them and love that just made me never forget them or just like even to this day reach out to them and always make sure they're okay because they were my family. Like that's where I was at. I try to never forget where I came from because at that time and moment, I learned a lot through all of those guys. Especially like their struggle, like as far as Louis, he has a life sentence. When I met him, he was down already 20 something years. Doughboy was down 20 something years. He got life. Skaggs got life. He was down 20 something years. But like when I would see Skaggs, Louis, and all of them, like knowing that they would never come home and like they probably go through like family after family after family because they see guys coming in and out, in and out, in and out. I knew like I needed them as a constant reminder in my life on why I gotta try to stay safe and just move positive so that way they can always have like if they need me have somebody to lean on because no matter how much I spent at the store every time I cooked I made sure I made a meal for all of them too because those were my guys you know I wasn't going to eat without them whatever they needed I always made sure I got it you know I just I took care of them so I'm not going to say I took care of them because they took care of me too you know what I mean in other ways so it's just I grew a love for them that I just can never like erase or just forget or walk away from because at the end of the day, I know what I've been through <clears throat> and what it feels like and I know they're still going through that. So Pollock, Pollock the guys in Pollock kind of became home to me. I'm thinking about my life prior to incarceration. I have to honestly say, reflecting back, that um, there was never really no sense of home for me. Um, yes, I was raised in a home. Yes, there was love there. There was a sense of structure early on. But um, as time went on, I guess I began to become aware that there wasn't a sense of home. Um, and why was that? Because, you know, my, my mother was an addict. Um, and she didn't really turn into addiction until I was like 13 years old. So it wasn't like something that I was raised around and it actually happened in my teenage years. So that right there put, uh, it put some negative energy, what I'll call today is negative energy in that 
environment where it, it wasn't it wasn't a home at all. And I could say I haven't felt as if I had a home um, up until I have to say two two or three days ago. Meaning when I moved in with my aunt, you know that she gave me a sense of of like home, like you can rest, you can sleep easy. Everything that's here, it belongs to you and me. Also just being a part of my turn. Like, I really mean that. Um, I've never had this type of experience. Like, I, this is all new to me as far as being around other cultures, other ways of life where you can see that you can have a good life. You know, people do come from good lives and being able to relate to each other. So that, it gives me a sense of belonging, a sense of home when I come here, just being around you guys, being around the professors, Hillary, Jim, Kim, being around, you know, my um, you know, fellow returning citizens. So that gives me a sense of home because I feel comfortable. Like, I can be myself. I know when I leave Tufts, my life might go back to a little bit of chaos, but it's controlled chaos because I can, I can maneuver in that chaos. I don't lose myself in it, but when I'm here, that chaos, it kind of subsides. I know it's there, and I know I have to face it, but being around you guys, knowing like you're being supportive, you're asking questions how I'm doing, y'all like, you know, which way, and I'm vice versa, it helps. So I haven't really had, felt a full, full sense of home in a very long time, but I'm, I'm creating it. I feel like finding a place <clears throat> to call home when you're returning from incarceration, is probably for me my number one priority because at the end of the day, no matter what I'm doing, if I don't have somewhere where I feel comfortable or where I feel like I'm welcome there, I'm never gonna be, how do I say it? I'm never gonna be humbled or put me in positions, I mean, situations where I would do things that I might regret, like resorting to my old ways of violence or just all other types of things where it's like, it just, it just puts you in, in like, a caution zone because at any given moment it's like you get desperate and like nobody wants to feel like they're desperate or or like struggling when they're fresh home like it puts too much pressure on you it puts too much pressure and like uh it just messes with your mental mind state because you want to be content and satisfied when you're coming home. Everybody's biggest issue when they're coming home from incarceration is home. Like, you never know what it is you're going to walk into when you're going to live with somebody else. Like, it could be all good when you're talking to them on the phone for five years and you think, oh, it's going to be straight. And then when you get there, it's a whole different person. And you're just like, damn, man, I ain't never seen this side of this person at all when I was talking to this person on the phone. Like, the fuck? Why I get away from this guy, man, for real? That's right. So it's just like, you want to find somewhere where it's like, when you go there, you're not stressed. Like, I like to be alone a lot because, as I said before, I've done a lot of time in the hole. So it's like, when I go home, like, my roommate, he's cool. I love my roommate. He'll come home, boom, either I'll go to his room and kick it with him for like 10 minutes or he'll come kick with me for like 10 minutes. But it's like, no matter what, we both know, like, 10, 15 minutes, all right, now you go your way up and go by. And I just go in my room and I relax. I just watch what I want to watch on TV. You know what I mean? So it's like I need that because I know if I don't have it, 
I'm just going to be a person that I don't want to be in 2021 at the age of 33. So home is very important for me. Wow. Um, for me, that is extremely, extremely important for so many reasons. But um, I've never had structure in my life, especially when I decided or I made the choice to enter the street life. The street life has no structure to it. Um, so I've never had a sense of structure up until I'll say my incarceration, where it was everything was everything is structure. Um, and I enjoyed that because I know I needed it. Um, being free now, I do have structure, but right now it's like the last three months of my life has have been really, really stressed. I've been really frustrated. Um, it's almost as if I, I know I can't control other people and their actions, but sometimes I allow my own to get, get out of hand. Get out of hand, and then that allows me to go somewhere else inside my head where me striving to create that home for myself, which I know I need, which is so important for my growth and development, which is so important for me to continue on the path I'm on in order to achieve greater things that I need to achieve and help people in life. But it's like right now I'm being pulled in so many places that a home seems so far away. Like the, the home that I see for myself and others, it seems so far away only because what's going on right now. But I also know if I don't create a space inside my mind where I'm like, okay, where, where I'm at, like, heck, I too can resort to actions that are directly connected to my old self. And a lot of times for me, it happens, like I know, I consciously know that I'm doing it. Like I know I'm doing it because I've been here before. But I can justify it in my head saying, well, now I know what I'm doing, so I'm not going to let myself go that far. And it's just, it could be little things. It could be something as, as simple as an old friend calling me saying, hey, man, let's come, come, come hang out with us for a little while. So now not only am I back with my old associates who I know are not living righteous, but I'm also back in certain neighborhoods that I know I shouldn't have, I have no business in. But that's all because now I'm just trying to battle my stress and I'm trying to battle my frustration and it's easier being in a familiar place around familiar people. But that's not good for me. That's a setback for me. So I'm trying to create that home where I know I have a place to go versus a place where I know I shouldn't be. But it's hard. It's, it's really hard right now after 20 years in prison and you, I built up this thought process where everything was going to work out just fine and I was going to have a home but that home wasn't my home and now I'm just in search of trying to find one and, and, and it, it hurts it really hurts because sometimes I feel like I'm by myself I mean I know I have support but I'm talking about some, like people that know me like my loved ones you know my, my family they don't understand no one understands where I'm at mentally right now and so they'll try to basically like you know, shortcut me, and I can't take shortcuts in this life that I'm trying to live. I just can't do it anymore. I, my whole life was built on shortcuts, and I kept having to start all over again from the beginning, but with a new scar every time. I don't want to live like that anymore. So I'm trying to build my home. I don't feel as though I have a home right, right, right now. Um, I feel comfortable with my aunt, and it's becoming a little, you know, easier, but as of right now, there is no home. I have to be careful, because that's where we tend to lose ourselves and find ourselves back in prison. 
my roommate. I met him through a friend of mine that I grew up with who's never been arrested in his life. Um, it was his friend. <clears throat> he was like, yeah, tell him, come on, move on in. You know, boom, even if he can't pay rent, he don't got to pay rent. But, you know, I'm never going to just sit there and do something like that. But anyway, when I first moved in, it didn't, like, I felt like, like you said, it's not really home. So it took time. Like, for me, it took time because at times, he like, at first it was me, him, and another guy. The other guy moved out, though. But they used to always be like, yo, bro, you stay in your room. You don't never come out. <laughs> so it was kind of like because in my mind, I was still, I wasn't comfortable there fully so I still felt imprisoned in a sense so I was like I felt like if I just stay out their way nobody had noticed me and I ain't got to worry about dealing with no bullshit you know what I mean but as time went on and I got to know them especially the room that I got now because I don't moved out um it definitely stopped feeling like that and that's what I can say now it feels like home for me because right. I can actually say like my roommate like I've only known him for what 15 months now and I can honestly say like he's like family that's my boy man right. that's my boy like any favor he needs me I do it like uh -huh. what was it two days ago I went and dropped his laundry off for him and go pick it up today like that's my boy I don't care yeah, no. you know right. so it just took time so when you were saying all that that's why I was nodding my head in the, in the inside I'm like you know just give it time man and it'll become home mm -hmm. you just gotta be patient you know alright good luck that's all I love my family, but right now it's kind of rocky for my family because of the situation that happened with my little brother. So, like, a lot of us have a lot of anger. So it's like sometimes a lot of fights break out due to the death of my brother. And it's like I do whatever I can for my family, but sometimes I kind of step away because I feel like it's my fault. So I try to stay away sometimes. And <clears throat> even though they always run to me every time, it's a problem. But... Like, I love my family, you know? They're a part of the reason why I have a loving heart, you know what I mean? Like, no matter how much wrong I've done, I'm not that bad person that when you go to court, they try to make you out to see. Like, they only want to speak about the bad. I guarantee you my good outweighs the bad 10 times, 100, whatever, you know? So, it's just, I can say, like, before the death of my brother, my family born was a lot stronger. Like, we... <clears throat> spent a lot more time together. We used to go out and eat a lot, um, throw barbecues together a lot, just do a lot of things together. But since the death of my brother, it's kind of like, like, my family I always love, but right now we're just in a hard place. So I wouldn't say, I mean, family home right now for me is basically like my roommate because that's who I talk to a lot of things about. You know, he has a good air of listening, but I can't do that with my family right now because they'll get too emotional or, or angry, you know? So I'm just trying to fix that right now, that part of my life. Uh, 2016, I lost my mom. Um, and I, I, I can honestly say that was like the worst time of my life during my incarceration. Um, I had just been denied parole, not even six months prior to that. So losing her, I had all these, you know, um, plans of, you know, hugging her and taking her out to eat and 
And so when she passed away, it was almost like <laughs> reflecting, thinking back, and then thinking on the question that I'm answering right now. It was like once my mom passed away, what like what does home look like? You know what I mean? Like she was the one, even though it wasn't the the best home. It, you know, I didn't I didn't um, get everything that I wanted, but I got everything I needed. Um, and she did the best she could with what she had. So once she passed away, it was like, you know, whenever I do, because at the time I didn't know when I when I was leaving prison. Um, I don't have an, a date that allows me just to leave prison. I have to see parole and be released. So that was a huge thing in my life. After she passed away, it was like, you know, when I when I do get free, like I'm, I'll never be able to see my mom again. Like I went through a lot with that, like dealing with that thought in my head. And the more I thought about it, the more um, afraid I became because it was like, well, what what is life like without my mother there? She's always been there, even though I've been in prison and even before I went to prison, I didn't really see her that much because I was always in the streets. But she was, she was always my mom, like right there. We didn't have like a distant relationship. I can always call my mom, go get something to eat, whatever. So now that I was coming home, it was like and her not being there. I didn't know how I was going to handle that. Um, I'm glad to admit that when I did come home, it wasn't that, that tough. I was able to navigate. But then when the holidays hit. Thanksgiving, Christmas, that's when it really like set in. And because prison didn't allow me to mourn the death of my mother, because I had I had already been conditioned and I had to been, you know, I had to think a certain way while in there. So when the holidays hit and I was free, that's when I really I think and I still don't I I know for a fact I didn't fully mourn, but I it, it hit me. And um so like, you know, like I said, it, it's very important that we have family members to create a home with. But like heck also, I'm not really um, in tune with my aunts or my dad and my relatives. Like we're all right. We, they support me. But no one understands where I'm at mentally. Like, I'm trying to grow and develop. Like I don't want to settle for the life I led before. Not even being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I don't wanna be, I don't wanna be lackadaisical. I don't wanna be lazy. Like, I, I, wanna, I wanna grow and I wanna develop and I wanna do things. And some of my family members aren't in that space. Like, they're comfortable with where they're at. So for me to, to build a home, I have to leave some stuff behind and then move in a different direction. Maybe I can revisit that in a different time. So I'm out here trying to create my own home Knowing if I don't do it, I really don't have one that's gonna be solid enough. It's funny how you was like, you don't like to celebrate. <clears throat> well, you didn't say you don't like to sell hard, but you holidays. You just said it hard, right? Because when you said that, it was kind of like to me, I understood you because I don't like celebrating them at all because of the death of my brother or the fact that my other brother is doing 15 to life in prison. Because growing up, me and my two younger brothers, we did everything together. There was nothing we did not do together. We left home together, came home together. No matter what it was, if, if we went to the store and one person stole a candy bar, the other two stole a candy bar too. Like, no matter what it was, we did it together. So it was like, now it's like, when I'm home <clears throat> and holidays come, I try my best to avoid it, but I can't because my sisters and my mom be on my back and like they'll harass me until like I actually get there. But if they didn't, I know I wouldn't come because I don't generally want to be there. And it's not because I don't love them. It's just, to me, 
I know I'll never get my younger brother Jamal back because he's dead, but it's like if I could just have my other brother back who's doing fits in the life, then at least some of those holidays will feel somewhat it'll give me a piece of what I had before, you know? So it's like I know what you mean when you say you don't like to celebrate those holidays. Right. And some people aren't even like like I some people aren't even comfortable like they can't they're not comfortable in my presence I, I sense it when I explain to them as far as like me not celebrating holidays like I, I don't understand like if I don't if, if I'm suffering from from some pain and I and I feel a certain kind of way about how I'm, how I'm feeling and I decide I don't want to celebrate a holiday that should be okay like just give me give me enough respect and enough honor and room to but for some people that can get really offensive and it's like, how can you be offensive because I don't want to, like, I'm going through something. Like, my, my mother, my brother's not here. Like, I, let me, so, I also, I, I feel where he's coming from. I, I don't even, I just don't even like doing it. It's, it's incomplete. Like, it's just, a, it's incomplete. Um, but I'm striving, you know, as we all are. I'm striving, I'm home. After 20 years, I feel great. I have an opportunity to, you know, to be here. You know, at my turn, you know, spending time with you guys every Monday and Wednesday, like really, really trying to get a, get an education, really trying to move ahead in life. I see you guys as, as family. Y'all want the best for me. I want the best for y'all. That's what I consider family. If you want the best for me, that means you care about me. So ain't that what family is supposed to do? I mean, that's how I see it. It's always good to find those who want to see you do better. Or to me, it's like, I know somebody cares about me when they have the heart to say what it is I'm doing wrong and not worried about how I'm going to react to them. Because if I care about you, I'm going to let you know, like, hey, V, watch out, you're about to trip. You know what I mean? Exactly. So it's like when you find people who try to tell you, like, hey, look, try this out, do this, instead of doing it that way, and it'll lead to this, which will open up that door and that door, it's, it's a blessing because growing up, I ain't never had that. I'm pretty sure V never had that either. Like, all, all I was taught was, yo, <laughs> hustle. Sick. Excuse my language, bust your gun, and freaking don't take no shorts. That's it. Like, it takes a while to realize, like, even when I got locked up by the feds, I was 19. I can honestly say it took me till I was, like, 26 to realize, like, bro, I'm not about to go back out here and post on a corner with a gun in my waist, a butt crack full of drugs, and hustle and scream out gang gang like nah I'm way too old for that but it took me a while like at first my mentality thought before I, before I don't remember the exact date that it hit me but it was like I know I was 26 but it was like before I came to that conclusion I was ready to go back outside buy me a hammer which is a gun if y'all don't know slang <laughs> <laughs> a gun Get me some drugs and do what I do. And I was gonna make sure I was gonna make sure my name was ringing bells and all that. So it's like I know my mind was um, screwed and misguided because I couldn't see nothing else besides the streets. I couldn't see nothing else. Like if you'd have told me, "Yo, heck, selling drugs is wrong," I'd look at you like, "Bro, you're stupid. You sound dumb. Why would it, why is it wrong? It's taking care of me. You know what I mean?" Or, yo, you can't go shoot this person because they're saying F that side. You know what I mean? Like, I look at you again like, you're dumb. Like, don't tell me that. Like, these are my peoples. I got to look out for my peoples. But it's like, the ones you call your peoples don't look out for you. That's right. 
Like, they rather, as long as they know that they're doing straight, they can care less about you. Like, shit, man, look, that's his own problem. You know what I mean? But it's like, here you are willing to put your life on the line for them. And like, the minute you're gone, it's like out of sight, out of mind, you know? I've seen that happen to a lot of guys. You know, it's rare when you actually have genuine friends. So, like, my turn is a blessing. And I tell y'all that all the time because I've never had anybody in my life try to teach me something besides selling drugs, a new drug, or how this brand new extended clip fits into this gun and it holds 30 shots now instead of when I was young, it was 11, you know what I mean, or 12 or 15. So it was like, it's just, it's, it's good to feel like you're doing something more positive with your life instead of hitting that revolving door where it's like you're just going in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, you know? And so I definitely appreciate this right here. Yeah, just to add on to that, um, you know, my turn, it gives me a sense of responsibility. Um, I look forward to coming here because it's like I'm, it's like I'm, in the, I'm in a world where, once again, there is no structure once I leave my turn mm-hmm. unless I create it for myself. Um, you know, I'm only going on a year of being free after 20 years, so I'm still like, I'm still I'm tiptoeing a lot of, around a lot of things. Uh, I'm still searching in the dark, trying to find my way. My turn has given me a like I like knowing getting up on a Monday or Wednesday morning, knowing that at a certain time I have to be at a place where I'm going to meet smiles and and, and helping and, and everybody's trying to you know make it through and, and get to the next level in life, whether it's through education, through businesses, whatever it is. We're all trying. We're all here trying to get somewhere and that for me that feeling is a wonderful feeling you know it's funny right when you come home most of the time you get a probation officer right mm-hmm. there's there's more people on a probation than i believe they are incarcerated i think they say the probation rate is higher than incarceration right so you think like coming home a probation officer is going to help guide you he's going to help you get things right like find a job get you into school shit like that they don't give two cares. All he cares about or she is you pee clean, you're actually living where you stay, and you're just not committing a crime. But it's like, what's the point of having a probation officer if they're not going to help you get over the hurdles that you need to get over? You know what I mean? It's like you would think, like, legit, you're there to help me. Like, what's the other reason for you to be there besides you trying to lock me up if I make a mistake? To see that there's people that really do care and still have hope and faith in someone like myself. Like for you all to still have that hope that we can actually get over these hurdles and, 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 and become better individuals, better human beings, make better decisions. It's really a blessing because like he said, like every Monday and Wednesday before that it was Tuesday and Thursday, like it's the only structure I have. Other than that, it's like, I'm gonna do whatever it is I wanna do. I'm gonna go watch TV all day, I'm going to go drive around all day, I'm going to go whatever, you know what I mean? So it's like, to know that you got to come here and learn and then do your homework too, it's like, it gives you, um, how do I say it? It gives you, it makes you want to have a purpose, like, instead of just resorting to the things you've done before. It makes you feel like you actually have hope, like you can actually grasp it, like, man, you know what? 
I can get this job. Just like with Raheem. He didn't know how to get his paintings up for nothing. And out of nowhere, here y'all come. Yeah, we got you. Boom. And he's like, man, look, I'm about to change the game with this painting. This right. painting world. They ain't charging me no 50%. I'm, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's like to have people to give you that hope when it's like when you first go home, you're lost. Oh. It's a blessing, man. It's just a blessing, you know? And, and, and also, we were, I was having this conversation with my aunt um, yesterday, and we was talking about, you know, the, the nonprofit. Like, I realized, like, if not for you guys, yes, my nonprofit would, would still be in motion. It still would be, but it would be a lot longer. Like, you guys have helped me with that process. You know, like, Thomas has helped volunteer to help me, you know, build a website. Like, you know, you helped me write the grant. You know, you always giving me motivational words saying, listen, you know, it's gonna, you're going to make it keep doing. Like, to have you guys help us with our project for those of us, for those of us who are trying to do other things outside of my term as far as nonprofits, businesses, paintings, whatever, having that support from you guys, for me anyway, I can only speak for myself, allows me to go to sleep at night knowing that if I don't know something or if I can't do something or I lack the knowledge on how to do it, having you guys there that may know, and if you don't know, you can in turn go to somebody else who may know. Having that support for me and, try, and striving to build a nonprofit from the ground up is so huge. Once again, I appreciate you guys for all that. Like, I really do because I don't, I don't know about a nonprofit. I don't know how to run a board. I don't even know what a board looks like. I never even seen a board. You know what I mean? So, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful and thankful. You know, on top of everything else that I go through, you know, me struggling with my relationship, you know, me not really having a place to go. I'm going through another fraud thing right now. Somebody tried to charge 50 something dollars on my phone. Like, I'm going through a lot, and I, I got an Uber this morning, not even knowing that my car was messed up. They gave me the Uber, but couldn't withdraw the 30-something dollars out of it because my car is cut off. So these are all, thus, I couldn't get to school on. It's a lot. It's a whole lot. Once again, I know why some men give up after spending one decade or three decades in prison trying to better themselves, get a job, go to school, um, balance a relationship, um, get back in their children's lives who they haven't seen in over 30 or 20 years, and then to have one thing disrupt all that, I can see how some men just say, I can't do this no more, especially if they don't have a support system. I, I really can see it. Before, I used to be so hard on guys that got out and came back. Like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get out. Look at these guys that even going home. You, you've been out three times, and I would be so hard on them. But I understand it, man. I really do. And the only, none of them would ever argue with me. They would say, you'll see when you get out. And just leave. I think that even aggravated me more because I kept thinking, I'm free. Why would I? I'm free. What would I mean? Would I, I'm, I'm free. Nothing's going to. They were right. Like, there's so many variables to freedom to trying to do the right thing. There's so many variables, and they're all, a lot of them are unknown variables that you have to deal with right then as they come. How do you deal with those type of variables after spending 20 years of your life incarcerated? How do you do it? Like, how do you do that thing? You, 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 don't, you don't even, I don't, I sat in front of a TV for one hour because I did not know how to turn the volume up. 
And it's funny because you think when you first get locked up and it's time goes on, you're thinking everything's still the same. You're still stuck in that time frame of like when I got locked up, uh, 2008, no, 2009. So it's like 2015, 16, I'm thinking everything's still the same. It's going to be the same. It's going to look the same, but it's completely different. Everything. So it's like you're completely lost when you first come home. It's different, and you have nobody to guide you. That's right. And I had pride. Like, my pride was in the way. My, my, my daughter, Jewel, who's 20, had been helping me the whole time I've been home with social media, helping me open up a bank account, helping me with this, driving me over here to this dog's appointment, driving me to the registry. They heard between my daughter and my lady, I was asking a lot, and they was giving me a lot. So I said, you know, I'm sitting with this remote. Like, how foolish would I would, how foolish would I be to call my lady at her job at 11 o'clock in the in, in the morning to say, how do I turn the volume up on the remote? And my daughter would just have the biggest attitude and probably like hang up on me. She should just hang up. Like, are you serious? You call me for that? Click. So I'm sitting there because I don't want to call nobody. But the more I sit there, I was getting frustrated, like really mad at myself. How, does, how do I have a remote in my hand? I do not, it's on, the TV's on. But I don't know how to turn the remote, the, the volume up. My hand started shaking and then I started thinking like, oh, you know, if I didn't go to prison, I would be caught up, but it wasn't, see what happens with me. I can, I can be all right, but if one thing comes undone, everything I've been holding comes undone. So just me not being able to turn the volume up led to me, you know, not being able to find a job right away, you know, not having my license. It just led to everything, that one little thing. So I have to be aware of stuff like that for me because those can be triggers for me. And a lot of times, like I said before, I didn't, I I wasn't able to put words to my emotions. So now I'm able to like identify how I'm feeling and that's what helps me continue to move in the directions that I'm moving in as far as my growth and development, getting things done, going to school, help, you know, trying to run a nonprofit and trying to work. It's just taking all the pieces that I've accumulated along the way and I know what's going to keep me free. And a big part of that is being a part of my turn. Like, I, I love this opportunity. Thank you for listening to the My Turn Podcast. The My Turn Program is a Tufts University accredited program providing education, mentorship, and career development support to and by those who have been directly impacted by the criminal justice system. My Turn's objective is to provide an opportunity for each participant to rediscover and reframe their skills, interests, responsibilities, and commitments. This podcast is created and produced in partnership with Jonathan M. Tisch College of Civic Life and the Bridging Differences Grant Program. Music brought to you by Burnell Jones II. Learn more or support my turn at tuppet.org.